morning. Welcome to the Church of the Apostles. We are so glad that you are here this morning. Uh, my name is Andy. I'm the youth pastor this morning. And if you, well, you'll see in just a minute, there'll be a whole crowd of kids, uh, students over here with uh, these uh, shirts on. Uh, we had Disciple Now weekend this weekend. A lot of you knew that. You were praying for it. So I just want to say thank you for all of your prayers. We had a fantastic weekend. Uh, the whole, the whole thing was great. Um, <laughs> that's my youngest. <laughs> Uh, anyways, speaking of which, I'll get to that in just a minute, but uh, we are uh, we had a great weekend. Our kids will be over here. Uh, I just want to say thank you to those who are host homes. Uh, they let teenagers come, crash at their house all weekend, uh, and uh, very thankful for that. Our group leaders as well spent the whole weekend with the students. Uh, the behind the scenes people, it, it was just a really, really good weekend. One of the things that we did on Saturday is that we went up to Dahlonega and we served a pregnancy center in Dahlonega. Uh, we helped uh, just uh, clean and organize some of the inside of their facilities and the outside of their facilities. Uh, and it was us and one other church was involved in the weekend. And so uh, that was just a really cool experience to be able to do that. And with that, uh, they are having a gala on the, 20, uh, on the 23rd, on Thursday, March the 23rd. Uh, and uh, you can register to go and be a part of that. There will be a dinner, uh, a semi-dress, uh, uh, um, um, like coat, tie, that kind of a thing for that for that uh, weekend. We do have little uh, things like this, little flyers like this. They're going to be on the table right where you put, pick up the bulletin right outside. Uh, if you would, go and pick one of these up. It gives you the information you need. You can register, go be a part of the event. And it's just a way to support the care center. Uh, and the work that they do, uh, learn a little bit more about what they do. So we'd encourage you to go and, and do that. Um, and uh, 
Tim and Karen are part of our, our church, uh, and they run the center, and so uh, just have a great connection there. So just want to encourage you in that way. Well, this morning uh, is first Sunday serve, or first Sunday. Our kids serve in various ways. Chloe is going to come and read our call to worship, but you'll also notice that we have a bunch of little ones in here. So on the first Sunday of each month, if you're new with us, uh, we have our kindergarten through fifth grade kids join us in our worship. So you'll see a bunch of little ones running around, well, hopefully not running around, but a part of service this morning. Uh, But with that said, I'm going to ask Chloe to come. She's going to read our call to worship this morning. Psalm 36, 7 through 9. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadows of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you this morning and just want to pause and just give thanks. Uh, Just give thanks for who you are. Give thanks that you are the river of life, that you are our delight and our joy. And uh, we just pray that this morning as we gather with just the things that have gone on this week, uh, maybe some things that we're carrying in this morning in our minds and our hearts, that we might be able just to rest this morning. That we might be able to rest in your presence as we stand and as we sing, as we listen to the preaching of your word that our souls would be refreshed because you are the, li- the living water flowing. And so we just pray that you would be honored and glorified in all that is done and said this morning, uh, that is for the good of your people, that you would bless uh, your people as we stand and sing and just worship you this morning. May it be the overflow of our heart that our worship would be pure and honoring and glorifying to you. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. If you would, let's stand and let's sing.
voice. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. The Lamb is overcome. Yes, we sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. The Lamb is overcome. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah.
Good morning. 
Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Stephen Baker, and uh, we'll be doing the scripture reading this morning. We'll be in uh, Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 20. If you have a blue Bible, it's on page 1083. And if you need a Bible, or if you know someone that does, you have someone in need of a Bible, please take these Bibles home. They're gifts from us, and we would love for you to have one, or for someone that you know that needs one to have one. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 20. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your own, your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is the word of the Lord.
my movements are going to be impeded if I... All right, we're coming back with that. Good, I was worried about having to use this thing. So. You know, right before I stood up, Quinn said, are you nervous? And I was like, no. And he said, well, you look nervous. <laughs> I thought I wasn't nervous. <laughs> and then he said that, and then the microphone doesn't work. And now all of a sudden I'm like, oh, got to start again. <laughs> uh, let me actually pray again. Let's do that. And then we'll, God, would you lead and guide us? Would you help be the one who teaches us this morning? We pray that your word... Uh, that you tell us does not return void. And so we thank you that, that that is true. We pray that you would be the one that leads us and teaches us. We pray all of it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I want you to think for just a moment. Uh, think about someone in your life, uh, maybe that you see regularly. Uh, I'm not talking about your closest friends, those in your kind of inner circle. But maybe somebody you work with. Uh, maybe somebody you see at the gym. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. Uh, maybe it's somebody, you know, as you come and go from your house, you see each day or you say hello to, or maybe just in passing. And I want you just to think about those people that God's placed right in front of you in your life, whatever that looks like, wherever you go, whatever kind of the things that you're doing, whether it's work or home or whatever hobbies. But I want you just to think about someone that maybe you regularly pass that maybe you don't know real well, but you know their face and you know who they are. And I want you just to picture them for just a second. I want you to think about those people that God's placed right in front of you. And then I want you to listen to this quote from C.S. Lewis. Uh, C.S. Lewis from The Weight of Glory. Uh, Listen to what he says here. He says, It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw now, you would strongly be tempted to worship. Or else a horror and a corruption that, as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another. All friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals with whom we joke, we work with, we marry, we snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. C.S. Lewis has a way with words. And what he's saying there is that every single person you meet in your life as you go on your way is an image bearer of God. Every single one made in his image, made to know and love him above all else. Every person you meet. You never meet a mere mortal. You never meet an unimportant person in everything you do and in everywhere you go. But what he says there so succinctly And so powerfully is that every single person you meet is either rejecting God and storing up wrath on the day of judgment or they're trusting him and they're moving towards an eternal glory. And that's every single person. 
And the way he says that in the weight of glory, I hope that lands on you, how serious it is and what he's talking about there. And so you go, well, what do we do with that? That's what the Bible tells us. That's what Jesus says. That's what Jesus is going to say in our passage here, what he's calling us to. What do we do with that? And I think the answer is we do what Jesus tells us and we take him at his word and we seek to be obedient and we go and proclaim the good news of who Jesus is. Every opportunity, every person you meet, every person you see has a desire in their heart. Eternity has been placed in their heart to know the creator God of the universe. And how easy it is in our day to day life that we just walk right past people. We put our head down and we get sucked into our own stuff and what we're dealing with. And we walk right past people. As Lewis says, immortals that we're surrounded by that are made in God's image. And so I want us to think about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. To be a disciple of Jesus means that we are sent with the message, the good news of who God is and what he's done for us. And that's true of every single person who's a follower of Christ. He says this, go proclaim the kingdom. Go make disciples that make disciples. And if you follow that all the way down, as disciples have gone out and made disciples and the good news has been spread throughout all history. We now stand in that line and we are called to make disciples that make disciples to proclaim the good news of who Jesus is. And so when we start to talk that way, and we start talking about discipleship, we say here a lot up, in and out. Our relationship with the Lord, with other believers in, with other believers as a family of faith, and then out with those that don't yet know Jesus. That that's what it looks like to be a fully formed disciple. I'll tell you, as we start to talk about the out and going and proclaiming the good news and sharing your faith, a lot of people start to get uncomfortable. And maybe you do today. Maybe as I say that, you start to squirm a little bit. You go, Me? Sometimes people go, well, I'm not an evangelist. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to talk to somebody about my faith. Or what if they have questions that I don't know the answers to? What if they think I'm really weird? Right? What if they laugh at me or they think I'm, you know, whatever, make fun of me. And so oftentimes what we start to do is we start to make excuses. All those things flood our minds about the way in which we don't want to do the thing that Jesus tells us to do. And so today, as we look at this passage in Luke 10, as we've been working our way through the Gospels, Jesus is going to send out 72 of his disciples and he's going to tell them to go and proclaim the kingdom. And what he says here is really practically helpful on how to follow Jesus in making disciples and how to share your faith and what that looks like. And so the way I want us to look at this text is one, Jesus is going to give us the reality of the situation. He's going to tell us some very poignant things right at the beginning about being sent out. But then two, he's going to give you some very practical advice that I think if you listen to what he says, it helps demystify this idea of sharing your faith. It makes it a lot simpler. I think it makes it a lot easier. Hopefully it helps bring you from a place of being fearful or anxious about it. So the, what we're going to say is the last part here of why that we should be expectant and excited about it. Right? So the reality of the situation, the practical advice he gives, and then why we should be excited about it. And so let's just start with the reality of the situation and what Jesus says here as he sends out these 72. Right? Look at these first two verses. And the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest 
to send out laborers into his harvest. And so the very first thing that he says, he says he's sending out these 72. Uh, most scholars believe that he, he picks 72. There's a literal number and the actual people he's sending out two by two. But then he picks 72 because of the, the table of nations at the time. There's 72 nations that they knew of at the time. And it's symbolic, it's literal, but it's also symbolic because he's sending them to all people. And he's sending them out to prepare the way. And they go out, but notice what he tells them there right at the beginning in verse 2. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And he sends them out, and he's saying, the harvest is those that will come to know Jesus. That will come to put a saving faith in God and who he is and what he's doing for us in Christ. And so what he's saying is there's a lot of people out there that don't yet know who he is, but they are going to come. And the need is that more people would go and share the good news. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And he says the harvest is there. They are waiting to hear. You're surrounded by eternal people that God has made. He's made them in his image. These immortal people that are image bearers of God, that desire to know Him, and you are surrounded by them, and they need someone to tell them. They're longing to hear, and Jesus says they are there, and the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few, so go out and begin to tell them. And I want you to notice that as He says that, that He's saying that it's there. But I also want to remind you of something that it says. It might slip past in what it says here. He says, Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. They're God's. He chose before the foundation of the world and he's calling people to himself and he's going to do this work, but he chooses to work through his people. He allows us to be part of what he's doing. And so sometimes we get really kind of caught up and like, oh, this is scary. And what would I say? And what would it look like? But I just want to remind you that he says they're there, that the harvest is there. And that he just needs somebody to tell him. And he's going to do the work. It's his harvest. And he's going to draw him. And he's going to show him. But he chooses to use us. And we get to be part of that. And so the first thing he says is there are so many that are waiting to hear, that want to know, that are desperately longing for the deepest connection of their heart, which is to know their creator, God of the universe. And so go and tell them. That's the first thing he says. The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. But then the second thing he says, verse three, he says, go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals and greet no one on the road. Basically, he says, take nothing with you. But know that as you go out, that you are lambs among wolves. And so the reality of the situation of what he's telling us is that there is a harvest. There are people there waiting to hear. That God knows and he's calling to himself and he wants to use us to be part of that. But then he tells you it's going to be difficult. That in so many ways that the world that we live in is opposed to the gospel. That there's a real spiritual battle going on. And he says it's like sending lambs out in the midst of wolves, which is how. If you know anything about lambs and wolves, Jesus uses these kind of phrases and these, these pictures because everybody in his audience knew. They knew what he was saying. Right? They lived in an agrarian society, a farming society. They knew what he was talking about. What, is, what sort of defense does a lamb have against a wolf? None. Right? You're in trouble. If a lamb and a wolf come up upon each other and there's a fight that's going down, the wolf is winning. Everybody knew that. 
And so what he's saying is I'm sending you out like lambs in the midst of wolves, but I've got you in the midst of it. But I do want you to stop and consider what he's saying here, that he is saying there is going to be opposition. There are things that are going to be difficult when you begin to spread the gospel and you speak up and you boldly proclaim Jesus. There will be opposition that comes against you, particularly in our society today. Some of the reasons would have been different in Jesus's day than they are for us in America today. But you're still going to have opposition today. We live in a pluralistic and relativistic society. Pluralistic, there's many ways, there's many uh, thoughts of worldviews and how things fit together. Relativistic today is kind of the, the thing that's standing over everything in our culture. The idea that there's no one truth, that everybody's right. And you can't tell me that you're right and I'm wrong. We all have our own truth. And that's everywhere. That's everywhere that we go. And so when you stand up and say, no, it's only through Jesus. That God has made himself known through Jesus. You are going to come up against people that say, you can't say that. It's not true. Or they'll say, well, that that might be true for you. What you'll probably get is that's fine that you believe in Jesus and that's true for you and that's okay. But you can't tell me. It's true for me. I have my own truth. And so what happens a lot of times is that's what you come up against. Today it comes that that's exclusive and it's narrow. And how dare you say that? And we all have our own truth. And you have yours and I'll have mine. But you can't tell me that Jesus is the way. And so that might be intimidating to you. You might think about, well, if I share my faith, I might get that back. Go, yeah, you might. You might have that conversation with. I've actually had that conversation with a lot of people that say that very thing. You can't say that. You can't tell me that that's true and you can't hold to that. And they say that's exclusive. And I've had this conversation many times. And I want you to think about this. It can be intimidating. But when you really stop and consider what they're saying, you start to see that it's a lie from the enemy. And it's actually self-defeating and it's incredibly arrogant. The thing that they're saying they don't want you to do, that you would say that this is what's true, they're doing to you. Right? They go, no, no, you can't say that. They go, well, Jesus says he's the only way. And I'm a Christian and I want to follow Jesus. And he tells me to go make disciples and tell people that. And you're telling me I can't say that? I've had that conversation with people. I go, well, that's pretty exclusive. You're now wanting me to operate in your worldview in the way that you operate instead of what I believe Jesus is calling me to. And I've had so many people go, no, 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 I'm not doing that. I'm saying they're all true and they're all okay. Well, Jesus says he's the truth. And suddenly they're coming face to face with that. And so sometimes we get so caught up in the thoughts of our world and our culture. And we go, oh, no, what would I say to that? The truth is it's self-defeating. They're doing the very thing they're saying they don't want you to do. And you say that with great grace and humility. But you speak the truth in the face of that. And there's a lot of people that you will come up against that that's the way it is. And Jesus says it's like lambs being sent out among wolves. But I'll take care of you. I've got you in the midst of that. And so the reality of the situation that he starts with that he's telling us is first that we need more laborers. We need more people to speak the truth of who Jesus is. But he also is telling you there will be opposition as you go. You say, okay. So we're supposed to call it. We're called to go and to proclaim the good news. But there's going to be great opposition and it's going to come up. Well, that doesn't really help me. <laughs> it kind of gets back to the beginning. 
of like when we talk about evangelism and sharing our faith and it's going to be hard and people aren't going to agree with me. I don't want to do that. But if Jesus is who he says he is and he is true and he has risen from the dead and he is the God of the universe that has come to us, we don't have a choice. This is the greatest news there is. And so I want you to see how he tells you to go, because he gives you some very practically helpful advice. And so look at verse two again, kind of demystifies going and sharing your faith. But in verse two, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so the first thing I would say to you, if you say I'm a Christian, I'm going to follow Jesus and I want to be a disciple of Jesus and I'm seeking to be obedient to him. Well, he says, go make disciples. I don't know how to do that. Okay, first thing is you pray to the Lord of harvest that he would send laborers out. That's what he says. He says, begin to pray. And so it doesn't matter who you are or what gifts you have or how long you've been a Christian or how many answers you think you have to people's objections. There's no reason that not every single person in this room that is seeking to follow Jesus can't do what he says first. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers. And so begin to pray. Begin to ask God who the people are that he wants to be sent and who he wants us to be sent to. Begin to pray for your neighbors and for your friends and your co-workers in our county, in our city, in our nation. Pray that God would send so many people that are so excited about who Jesus is. That they would love and they would care and they would speak boldly the truth and begin to ask him. There's no reason, no matter where you are, that you can't pray in that way. But I'm going to warn you. As you do, as you begin to pray and ask God to send people into the harvest, what's going to happen is he's going to begin to change your heart. And suddenly you're going to realize you're the person that he's sending. He's going to give you a heart for your neighbors. He's going to give you a heart for your co-workers. He's going to give you a heart for your family. And then you're going to realize you're the person that's standing right there. And he's going to begin to show you that he's calling you. He's calling you to open your mouth. He's calling you to invite them into your life. To speak the truth of who he is. And so begin to pray. God will change your heart as you do. I had a friend years ago really messed me up for a long time in a good way because of what he challenged. He said, don't think about rearranging everything in your life. Just be more intentional with what you do. He said, so everywhere you go, and he asked me, he said, well, what are you doing this week? I said, well, I'm going to take Asher to soccer, and then I'm going to this, and I'm going to that. He said, great. So when you go to take Asher to soccer, show up five minutes early and pray. Pray, what's next, Lord? Who do you want me to talk to today? What would that look like? And I remember him telling me that, and us walking through the week together and thinking about the places I was going, and I started doing that. And the very first day, I took Asher to soccer and I start to pray, and I'm standing there praying. And this guy comes up to me, another dad on the team, never met him before, and he starts spilling his guts about all the things that are happening in his life. It's like, whoa. Right? Like God's going, he's right there. That's the person that I want you to talk to next. And the truth is, it's all around you everywhere you go. But usually, we're so in our own stuff that we don't even see it. 
So begin to pray. Ask God, what's next? Who do you want me to talk to? What would that look like? Ask Him to give you the words. Ask that He would make you a good listener that truly loves the people that are in front of you. Ask that He would show you, as as C.S. Lewis writes there, that there are no ordinary people. And I guarantee, I I promise you, that will happen. You'll be amazed. And how many ways that you will see that God's moving right in front of you. And so start with that. You begin to pray. What's next, Lord? Ask him to show you. The second thing, though, look at what he tells them as he sends them. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. Greet no one on the road. He's telling them, just go. Don't worry about packing a lot of things. Go and trust me. He says, even though you're like uh, lambs in the midst of wolves, go. I've got you. I have this harvest. I'm using you. Go. But then he says, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they don't receive you, go into the streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, the kingdom of God has come near. And I tell you, we've we've talked about this passage in our church for a long time, if you've been around here. We talk about this idea that Jesus says, go, and if there's a son of peace there, let your peace fall and stay there and spend time with them. And so we use this term here at Church of the Apostles of people of peace in your life. Now, now remember, the context here is they would go and they would travel out to different towns. The culture was people would invite you into your home and they would stay there. And that was kind of a normal thing they were doing. Not exactly the same in our culture today. Right? You don't go over to your neighbor and say, hey, can I spend the night here and will you feed me and all those kind of things. That's probably not going to work real well. But the main idea is the same. He says you go and you find people, peace, persons of peace. In your life, and you go, well, how do I know them? They're the people that are leaning in. They're the neighbor and the coworker and the person you work out with, the person you go to play golf that's at the range next to you, and you hit it off and you start talking, and you go, hey, that's my person of peace. And here's the great thing about what Jesus tells you about evangelism and going. Give your time to the people that are leaning in. If they're there, and they're right in front of you, and you strike up a friendship, then go and give your time there. Invite them into your life. Invite them over for dinner. If it's your neighbor, take them a plate of cookies. Whatever it is, begin to ask God what that looks like. And the people that lean into relationship, give your time there. And listen. Invite them into your life. As you begin to establish that relationship, you share with them who Jesus is. Make it per- Tell them what God's done for you in your life. Invite them into that. Right? We, we do here, uh, and we'll do it coming up in the next few months. We do a training on how to read through the Gospel of John with another person. It's a great way to do this. You get to know your neighbor or a friend, and you spend time with them. You invite them into your life, and then you say, hey, would you like to read the Gospel of John with me? God's going to do the work. It's His harvest and His Word that's going to do it. Our job is just to open our eyes and see where he's moving and be obedient to the things he puts right in front of us. And so pray, 
asking God what that would look like, and then take steps of obedience to the people of peace that he puts right in front of you. It's pretty simple. It's the way he tells us to do evangelism. Love the people that he's placed right in front of you. Hopefully, you go, okay, well, that's not too, too bad. Not too difficult. But I want you to think about why you should be excited and expectant about that and not fearful, not anxious. Look again what he says here, right? Verse 2 there where he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray earnestly to the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I just want to reemphasize that. It's his harvest. He's doing the work. You know, you can't argue anyone into faith. Did you know that? No matter how smart you are or how many answers you have, you can't do it. It's a work of the Holy Spirit that has to come and open their eyes to see it. But God uses the faithfulness of his people. I don't know about you, but that's, that's a great encouragement to me. That it's not based on my intellect, because if it was, we'd all be in trouble. I'm not that smart. It has to be the work of God moving. It's his harvest. But then look at what he says in verse 16. He's talking about those that reject him and what that looks like. And he kind of gives these woes to the different towns that are rejecting, even though they're seeing God move and the things that he's doing. But then verse 16, he says, the one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. And I want you just to think about the power of those words that Jesus says. He says, when you go... And the people of peace that God's placed in front of you and you're praying and he brings them into your life and you start to invite them in and you begin to speak the truth of God's word. When you say who Jesus is, when you open the Bible with someone or you tell them what is true, if you're rightly handling God's word, this is who God is and what he's done for us and Jesus, they are hearing Jesus. He says, when they hear you, they hear me. I don't know about you, but that gets me so excited And so thankful that it's not me, that it's Jesus that's going to do this work. And that we're called to be faithful and point to who he is and speak the truth of what he says. But they're going to hear the word of God. Right? We've been saying all the way through this series that Jesus is the logos, the divine truth, the organizing reality of all that there is. And when you begin to give word to that, Right through God's word and what he's revealed to us, they are hearing Jesus. It's easy for us to get focused on ourselves and go, well, I won't know what to say. And I don't know how to do it. And I'm not sure what that'll look like. And I'm nervous about it. It's not you. You're speaking the words of the creator God of the universe who is calling people to himself. And so trust him in that. His word does not return void. He's going to do that work. And so you should trust that it's his word that's going to do the work. But then look at what he says in verse six. Second thing here about why we should be excited. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. And then he says in verse nine, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And Jesus tells them to go out and proclaim the kingdom and heal the sick. And you go, well, what does that mean? Does that mean that as we go out of here today, we go and we share the gospel and you should heal everything that you ever come up against? Does the Bible give us that promise? I've heard people say that. If you just have enough faith, 
You can say anything and go forth as long as it's in God's name and you're, you're seeking to glorify Him and heal everything. Does it work that way? Is that what He's telling us? Is that the promise that God gives? And I want to say this in two ways. I want to make sure the center of the biblical tension. Maybe. Maybe God does use you to heal right in front of you. I have seen it happen. I've watched God do it. I've seen it in our church. I've seen people be healed of things as we pray and God answers and he does it. And I'm not telling you that he can't do that. He can do that. But sometimes he chooses to not do it in that way. And I want you to think about why that's the case. If you read through the Gospels and you watch Jesus' ministry, or you read through the book of Acts, there's lots of miraculous things happening. God does heal. And He does do these things. And you see it happening. But you also see sometimes it's not happening exactly like that. Or you read something like in in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, verse 15 and 16 says, But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. He's healing all these people, and more and more people are coming, and Jesus would slip away. And well, why didn't he heal all of them? And why did he slip away and begin to pray? And so Luke gives you that summary statement in verses 15 and 16. And then right after that, it tells a story of Jesus healing a paralytic. You know the story? His friends bring him to Jesus. They're carrying him on the the stretcher. He can't walk. Everybody's crowded in this house. Nobody can get to Jesus. So they climb up on the roof and they, they lower him down. You know the story? And they lower him down in front of Jesus. And he's looking and here comes this guy through the roof. And they lower him down and there he is right in front of him. And Jesus says, my son, your sins are forgiven because of your faith. And all the religious leaders get bent out of shape. And they go, what do you mean? Only God can forgive sins. What is he doing? How can he say that? And everybody's kind of thrown out of of it. I always joke. I I think about the poor guy on the the thing. He gets lowered down and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And he's like, and? I still can't walk. And then what does Jesus say? He says, so that you know that I have the power to forgive his sins, get up. And he gets up and he's healed. But what's he doing? He's doing what he's always doing. He's doing what you see through Acts. The miracles are there to alert you of your deepest need, which is a relationship with God. And it's through what Jesus has done. And so sometimes we get that mixed up and we start to make it all about the miraculous and healings and doing these things. And so you can hear what I'm saying and go, well, it sounds like you're hedging your bets. Like, so you can answer when God doesn't heal. And you go, oh, well, he does, sometimes he doesn't. And it's like we're making excuses. But that's not what I'm saying here. What I'm telling you is there's a warning that you see when you put your focus on the temporal benefits, the healings and those things, and you miss your deepest heart need, which is to have a relationship with the creator God of the universe. That you have been separated by your sins and that you need Jesus to come to do for you what you could never do for yourself. And that's more important than anything else. And all the, the, the struggles and the pain and the things that we go through in this life are actually symptoms of our deepest need, which is that relationship with God. And if we focus 
on even the miraculous, even wonderful healings, and even these things, and we miss the heart part. We've missed all of it. Look at what Jesus says in verse 17 when they come back. It says, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. They come back so excited of these miraculous things and they're casting out demons and they're doing all this. And they're like, look at what they were doing. Right? Look at what we were doing. Right? They say it was in your name, but it's like, look at what they were doing to us. And Jesus goes, slow your roll. The most important thing is that you know me. That you've come to saving faith in me. That you've trusted me. That your names are written in heaven. That you're going to be with me for an eternity. And he kind of redirects them there. And he's telling them, if you miss the deeper reality of our deepest need, which is having that relationship with God, we miss it all. So that doesn't mean that God doesn't sometimes heal. He does. He is a gracious and good and loving God. And sometimes he does that. And he does that to alert us to the way he's working. To alert us of his deepest needs. You see that all the way through Acts. Right? They do miracles so that they can preach the gospel so that people would hear who Jesus is. So I want you just to think about why that's so important. Right? What if all of a sudden God just started healing every person that walked in this room? Wouldn't that be wonderful? I don't say that like I mean, that would be wonderful. If, if today he healed every physical infirmity in the room. And he can do that. And we're called to ask him and we're called to pray and we're called to trust him. And we continue to ask. But if that started happening every time we gathered, everybody gets healed. And it happens over and over and it keeps happening. Then what? If we get up and we walk out of this place and our life doesn't change and our heart has not changed and we're not more in tune with God and we're not trusting him. And we're just thankful that he healed us of those things and we go back to our life. What has been gained? Absolutely nothing. God does those things to alert us of who he is so that we would trust him more fully. See, the truth is, even if he healed everything in here, we walk out and on a long enough timeline, we all die. Every single one of us. The wages of sin is death. Unless Jesus returns, every single person in the room is going to die. And you're going to stand before God and you've either put your trust in him and your faith in him and you're seeking to honor him in your life or you haven't. And making it all about the, the supernatural, these things and missing the heart of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, we've missed the whole thing. And so Jesus says that, right? That's what he's saying there at the end. And so when you think about why you should be excited, please hear this. Pray that God would bring healing. He tells us to do that. Pray trusting him. I want to see him move. I want to see people healed. I want to see those things come. But know this. Every disease is going to be healed. Every one of them. Every tear will be wiped away. Because of who Jesus is and what he's done, he's going to bring the fullness of it in his kingdom. 
And so even right now, if it's not all those things perfectly together, we continue to proclaim the good news of who he is because of what he's going to do. Last part here is you think about being excited, right? So the gospel, the good news takes priority in all things. It is his word that's going to do that work. But then look one last time at what he says there in 17 to 20. They come back all excited. And Jesus very casually says in verse 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. They're like, even the demons. And he goes, of course. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. It is hard. It's hard to open your mouth and speak the truth. It's hard in a world that's opposed in so many ways. It's in a spiritual battle. But Jesus says, I've already won. We live right now in the truth of the fullness of what he's done on the cross. We're waiting. We're anxiously awaiting his second coming, but he's already won. We live in the already, but not yet. What power does Satan have? He is a liar and a deceiver and he accuses. And when his lies come up against you in your life, you turn and you look to Jesus. He's already finished the work. And he's got you in the midst of it. And you trust him in all things. And he says, I've got you. You can tread on anything and go in any places. And the power of the gospel cannot be defeated. It's going to come to fruition because God's word does not return void. And the things God says are going to happen. And so you trust him in all things. Even when people come against you or they laugh at you and they say, that's ridiculous. Or I can't believe you would believe that. You go, okay. And you continue to be kind and gracious and love them. And you trust that God is in control because he is. When we understand who Jesus is and what he's done, there's nothing to fear. He's already finished the work. And so trust him in all things. And so I just want to leave you with this as we end. I just want to ask you, I want to invite you to begin to pray. That God would show you what that looks like in your life. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. God, how do you want to use me in the midst of this? Would you open my eyes to see the ways in which you are calling me to follow you? He will do it. You'll be amazed. You'll be overwhelmed as you continue to ask him. He will meet you in the midst of that. Pray with me. God, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. That you have come to redeem us. That you've come to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Would you give us eyes to see the ways in which you are working to redeem your good creation? You tell us that it's your harvest and that you are drawing people to yourself. But you choose to work through the means of your people. I pray that we would see today what a great honor and privilege it is to make much of you. That we have just this small time in our life to walk by faith. To continue to point others to you. Give us eyes to see you so clearly. I pray that as we go through this week, the people that you place right in front of us, that we would see them as they are, your image bearers. That their deepest need is to know you. Give us eyes to see them. Give us hearts that are soft towards you and your leading. Help us to speak the truth and in all things. And we pray that we would see a wonderful harvest as you continue to draw people to yourself for your glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
the time in our service where we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. If you're visiting with us, we do this each and every week at Church of the Apostles. We'll be reminded of who we are in Jesus and what it is that he's done for us. What it took for him to purchase our salvation and our relationship with him by his shed blood and his broken body as he lays down his life for us. And so as we do that, as we're reminded of this each week, this is a time for believers to be reminded of our identity and who we are in Jesus. And so if you're here today and you go, I'm not sure about that. And I'm not sure where I am and I'm still asking questions and I don't know what that looks like. I would just say to you, we're so glad you're here. You're welcome to be here. Your questions are welcome. I'd love nothing more than to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus. And why it's the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. Uh, But for those that have put their faith in Jesus today. And are seeking to follow him. We want to be reminded of our identity in him and what it is that he's done for us. And so we partake of these elements. It's an outward sign of the inward reality of what Jesus has done for us. And so Jesus himself instituted this on the night before he would lay down his life. And he tells us to do it in remembrance of him as his followers, as his disciples. And so the scriptures record it this way. When the hour had come, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so this is the body of Christ given for you. And the blood of Christ shed for you. stand and continue to worship together.
helper and maker of everything, defender, deliverer, king of kings, he is. pray with me and then we have we're going to do uh new members and then a couple of announcements so let's pray first god we thank you for your grace we thank you for your love for us we thank you that you love your good creation and that you are redeeming it we thank you that you choose to use us in the midst of that and so i pray for each person here today that you would show them exactly the people that you've placed in their lives i pray that you would reveal to them their people of peace people that you are drawing to yourself, that you've placed right in front of us, and that you are allowing us to be part of the work that you're doing. And so give us eyes to see. We pray that you give us soft hearts towards those around us, that you give us a great desire to want to share uh, who you are with those around us. And so I pray that we would look back and we would see, as we think about these things, the ways that you're working, that we would look back and see that you are sparking this thing in each one of us to go and to share and to see people come to faith. I pray that we would see many, many come to faith, many come to know you, that we would get to see it right up close in the ways that you're working. We thank you that you allow us to be part of that, and we pray all of it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, Before we go to announcements, we're going to do a presentation of new members, and so I'm going to ask the few that are being recognized today to go ahead and come up. Uh, We have Josh and Rebecca Griffith, and then Scott and Julie Perry and Israel and Rebecca Koschel, and then Joan Pretlow. So I have, to, I have to apologize to Joan because I've left her out like twice. She's been a member for a little while now, and we kept thinking she had, I thought she had already done it, and she hadn't. So we're so glad that people get to see and know for sure that Joan is indeed a member, and so we're so glad to have you. Uh, as we do this, um, we ask all these to come up that are, that are saying that they're seeking to be members of our church. Uh, we, we like for you to come up so people can see your face and know who you are and know uh, new members and understand. But we also do this uh, because we read through our church covenant together just to be reminded what it means to be a member of a local church. And so we have a church covenant, which is just a promise of what we're saying to one another. We think the Bible clearly calls us to and the things that it tells us. And so we're going to read through that together. And then I'm going to ask you guys to affirm that, that you're that you're with us on that. And then I'm going to ask those that are members to stand And pray with me for them and affirm that back to them. And so let's read through it together. It says, having as we trust been brought by divine grace to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ 
and to give up ourselves to him. Having been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we do now, relying on his gracious aid, solemnly and joyfully renew our covenant with each other. We will work and pray for the unity of of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We will walk together in brotherly love as becomes the members of a Christian church. We'll exercise an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other and faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. We will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together nor neglect to pray for ourselves and others. We will endeavor to seek the salvation of our family and friends in words and actions seeking to be a pure and loving example. We will rejoice at each other's happiness and endeavor with tenderness and sympathy to bear one another's burdens and sorrows. We will seek by divine aid to live carefully in the world, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts and remembering that as we have been voluntarily buried by baptism and raised again from the symbolic grave, so there is on us a special obligation now to lead a new and holy life. We will work together for the continuance of a faithful evangelical ministry in this church as we sustain its worship, its ordinances, discipline, and doctrines. We will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. We will, when we move from this place as soon as possible, unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. And so I'm just going to ask you guys, and if you'll just respond with God's help, we will. Do you commit to the best of your ability by the grace of God, with his help through the Holy Spirit working within you, to fulfill this commitment to the body of believers of CODA? All right. If you are a member of CODA, if you would stand with me. And I just want to ask you to say back to them today, do you members of CODA commit to these new members to pray for them, to care for them, to walk with them and their families as they seek to follow Jesus in every area of their lives? All right, let's pray together. God, we thank you for the gift of the local church. I thank you for each one here that has come and is seeking to to live their lives together following you. And as we seek to encourage one another, would you give us the grace to help one another, to love one another well. We pray that we would see each other as you see us, as your children that you've called to your family. And so I pray that we would live as a family, that we would truly care and love for one another in all the ways that you've called us. We thank you for each one here that you've brought to our local body. We pray that you would continue to do this work in each one of us as we seek to follow you. We pray all of it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You can be seated and you guys can sit down. So glad you guys are here. If you've not met any of these new members, please take a minute after the service and grab them and welcome them and make sure that you do and say hello. A couple of announcements just before we dismiss. Um, The first, uh, most important, I guess, big announcement here is right after service, we're going to have our annual business meeting. It'll be about 15 minutes. We're going to go over budget from last year and present this year's coming budget. And so if you're a member here or if you're a regular attender and you call this church your home and you're kind of in that process, we would love for you to stay um, we're going to give you kind of big overview, but then we'll give you an opportunity to ask questions and uh, anything that you want to know. Open door on any of those. And so we'll do that right after the service. And so what we'll do is right after we sing the doxology, I'm going to stand up and say the peace. You've got about two minutes if you need to go or you're not staying to go ahead. And then we're going to go ahead and get started right away. So uh, try to get you in and out with that as quickly as I can as we cover that. But that'll be right after the service. 
A couple other announcements. We have an equipping class starting next week. And so for the next three Sunday mornings from 9 to 10 a.m., we'll meet in the old sanctuary. And what we're going to talk about and look at together is the idea of technology in our lives from a Christian worldview. And so I want us just to think deeply about the things that God's uh, gifted us with and the technologies we have. Some of that's kind of our phone and screens and the way that we, we operate with it. And so the first week we're going to think big picture, just kind of technology from a theological view, what God says about it. The second week, we're going to talk about some of the problems that arise and the struggles that we have with it. And then the last week, we're going to talk about practical steps that we can take to have it take uh, uh, the, right, the proper place in our life as we seek to follow Jesus. And so that's for adults and uh, our students, anybody that wants to come and think about that. It's something that's affecting all of us. So love for you to come and be part of that. It'll be the next three weeks from 9 to 10 a.m. before our service, and we'll meet in the other room. Uh, a couple other things. Um, this week is our, our first Wednesday meal, and so we have a, a meal together on Wednesday at 6 o'clock. We'll meet right in here. We'll have a meal together, and then right after that, we'll do a short time of worship where we sing a few songs together. Uh, love for you to come and just be part of that. It's just a great way to get to know people in the church and share a meal together, and so that'll be this Wednesday at 6 p.m. And then lastly, I just wanted to piggyback on what Andy said at the beginning about the care center uh, the North Georgia Pregnancy Services Center. I, I keep sorry. I keep wanting to call it Delonica Care Center. I've known it that way for so long, but uh, uh, the care center is, is just a wonderful place where they're helping with people that are in need that have uh, kind of unplanned pregnancies and how to deal with that. And so, Tim and Karen Bowden have been a huge part of that ministry from the very beginning. They started that and they've been in our church. And so, love for you to go and support them at their uh, banquet that's coming up on the 23rd. That's a Thursday. On the 23rd, and there's information on the way out. Love for you to come and be part of that. And so I think that is it for the announcements. If you would stand with me for the benediction. From Ephesians chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.